we are highlighting three key challenges. The first one is, of course, the energy transition. We're moving from traditional fuels that emit a lot of greenhouse gases to alternative fuels. The second point is geography of trade. The third point is digitalization. Hello, this is the Weekly Tradecast, a podcast brought to you by UNCTAD, the UN's trade and development body. I'm Sarah Thomas. We're exploring how major events are shaping trade and development and how that affects billions of people around the world. This week, we're looking at UNCTAD's review of maritime transport. The report says the volume of trade moving by ship fell slightly in 2022 during the pandemic, but is expected to grow by 2.4% this year. That's good news for the shipping industry and the global economy, as more than 80% of traded goods move by sea. But there are still many challenges. Geopolitical tensions are high with the war in Ukraine and trade patterns are shifting. The UN Review also says the shipping industry must cut its sizable carbon emissions, modernise fleets and become more sustainable and digital. Transforming the sector is a complicated business. Well, joining me now to explain is Jan Hoffman, head of UNCTAD's trade logistics branch, and economist Luisa Rodriguez, one of the authors of the Review of Maritime Transport. Jan is an economist who has spent many years working for a shipping company in Germany, so he has hands-on experience of sailing the seas. Born in Paraguay, Luisa has lived in many places around Europe and Latin America. She's a keen photographer and dancer and also a member of the UN Gardening Club. Well, welcome to the show, both of you. Good to have you. Now, Luisa, first off, it's a bit of good news, isn't it? There's a bit of growth in the latest review of maritime transport. Yes, indeed. This is good news. We faced a contraction of maritime trade last year, uh, minus 0.4. This year, we are looking 2023, 2.4 growth. We see that there's really been an important growth that has happened with respect to energy commodities, notably linked to the situation in Ukraine, which has uh, shifted trade patterns with respect to key commodities, oil and other energy commodities as well. Other sectors have behaved differently, bulk commodity trades and also container shipping have faced slower growth. And this is linked to this global economic context. We have faced a significant slowdown in past years, and this has impacted uh, consumer spending. But There is a context of a lot of uncertainty because of those geopolitical tensions. There are also trade tensions. Where are we going from here? We are looking to an uncertain scenario with higher volatility. Right. Well, with so many uncertainties, Jan, what are the major factors that will shape the shipping industry over the next few years? Yeah, lots of positive trends recently, but we are, we are highlighting, I'd say, three key challenges. The first one is, of course, the big transition, the energy transition. They're moving from fuels, traditional fuels that emit a lot of greenhouse gases to alternative fuels uh, with different ambition goals. So this we like to call the green transition, but it should also be just and equitable because during this transition, smaller, poorer, more vulnerable countries, countries that are further away, the small United States, they will be more negatively, more strongly affected. We must do this transition, but it implies many 
challenges. With the data on record, several commodities are going longer distance than ever before from the data we have the last two, three decades. So the typical distance a ton of grain or a ton of oil travels today is higher than for the last decades where we have data, which has to do, of course, with politics, with the war in Ukraine, with new trends. So it's really about trading with partners you want to trade with. So that's the second point, this geography of trade, which leads to also more demand, more ton miles, because for the ship owner, it's not so not only important how many tons of cargo he or she gets, but also how much business you can make with it, how far that goes. The third point is digitalization. It's really more of an opportunity, and there was a lot of push for reforms, for improvements during the pandemic. So this has led to a push also for more needs and, and investment in digital solutions. So Louisa, what are the recommendations from the report on how the industry should be working to cut carbon emissions and modernize fleets of ships and become more sustainable? Key recommendations are about investing, collaborating and raising awareness and raising transparency about those issues involving decarbonization. This is about a complete transformation of operations in a whole industry. We are engaged in this process already for several years, but in some and many aspects, the process is incipient. Let's think about this use of alternative fuels in the fleet requires a lot of investment. So that is a challenging recommendation. There is a lot of uncertainty in connection with which direction to follow in order to do these investments. Mm -hmm. And this uncertainty relate to regulatory aspects. They also relate to the way these technologies are developing mm -hmm. and understanding which ones are the winners and picking the winners. So that is a challenging decision, a difficult decision. Uh, we are talking about scaling up in order to be able to uh, make a difference. So we're talking about a lot of money and that's where the investment comes in. In a context of uncertainty, there is an issue of having a certainty linked to an international regulatory framework that provides clarity in terms of which way to follow. So this we mentioned in the report. The issue of collaborating, because we are talking about new energy providers, creating the necessary infrastructure. So collaborating within the industry and with other industries, we are talking shipping and energy, we are talking public and private, we are talking government to government, we're talking government to companies. I think also very important is the issue of reskilling the human resource in order to deal with for instance, these alternative fuels, which may be more volatile, require different standards in terms of handling those fuels. So more investment, collaboration, and reskilling and developing new skills in order to be able to handle this transition. Sounds like you're revolutionizing the industry there. So Jan, with the next UN Climate Summit coming up in November, where are the discussions and actions heading to help make shipping greener? Shipping is a main major contributor. Depends how you calculate, around 3% of greenhouse gases come from 
shipping and just like any other industries and countries and sectors has to, to reduce its emissions. Decisions have been taken at the International Maritime Organization with new goals, ambitions. Now, it's a glass half full, half empty. I still feel that some of these goals and ambitions are still too vague. There's wording like Around 2050, we need to achieve this or that goal uh, through technical measures or economic measures. So coming back to what Luisa said, this uncertainty which the ship owner, the investor, the shipyards are confronted with is still there. And this leads to this real big challenge that we may not have enough cargo carrying capacity, say ships and ports and energy and bunkering for this transition because the investors are waiting. They are not sure what will be the carbon price in future. What will be the price difference between traditional fuels and alternative fuels? What will be the different regulations? So right now, and we report on this in the review, we look at the average age of different ship types and it's really not good. So a key issue you asked, what are the discussions, actions, a, a important discussion that is taking place is about so-called economic measures, which are not traditionally the type of measures taken in shipping. But an economic measure really is an incentive, a price difference, a levy, a contribution that has two key benefits and, and objectives, why this may be agreed upon. First, it's the one thing apart from a, a command and control instruction that you must build this or that ship or that use this technology or go at that speed, but it makes the alternative fuels economically competitive. And the second potential advantage there is the funding generated from such a mechanism can be used to help the most vulnerable, weaker, further away economies that would otherwise be more negatively affected by this transition. I started out with this danger that, that we have this transition and some countries will be more negatively affected. In other sectors, other industries, and what's agreed under Paris, you can give poorer, smaller, more vulnerable countries different goals. And this is not possible because shipping is so international. So in shipping, it is not practical to have different regimes in different regions. This is why we need another mechanism, some other mechanism, to make this transition green, but also just and equitable. And to make it just and equitable, we need funding. And this funding can be generated by this economic measure. So this is a key discussion that is taking place, how to make this transition, as I said, green and just at the same time. Louisa. Jan's been talking about funding. That's the big question, isn't it? As Jan said, this regulatory certainty that comes from the IMO and the levy and having some clarity in terms of the market-based measure is already a good point, and we're arguing for that in the sense that this could provide funds in order to finance certain challenges associated with the transition adaptation and uh, being able to mobilize some of these finances in order that it goes into developing this new infrastructure. So that is part of the possible recommendations. Another one is the issue of raising awareness in terms of the potential partnerships that can exist. So we're talking about development banks, certain 
entities that are providing financing, but developing countries are not able to tap into them. So raise awareness about these opportunities and be able to develop some partnerships in order to get this funding and uh, pool the resources for the development. Well, from what you've both said, this is not an easy transition at all. What twists and turns will there be for maritime trade, Jan, and the global economy too? Yeah, good good question. Um, I have three thoughts there. And uh, as, as Anktat, we are participating in, in the COP conferences uh, and we are also closely collaborating with the International Maritime Organization. Uh, Luisa mentioned the impact assessments. I think it's a very good practice to actually look at potential impacts of a new regulation before you agree, before you implement it. Makes it more difficult, makes it a bit more lengthy, but to see what exactly would this or that speed limit or this or that economic measure, what it would mean. I don't think I will preempt the outcome of negotiations, but it's quite clear that you will need a combination of technical and economic measures, and we are analyzing these. Now, whatever is the outcome, I come back to where we started. There will be additional costs during the transition. The costs put more on the poorer, more vulnerable developing countries. So that is then where especially the economic measure can be used to make a difference and where then also UNCTAD and other international agencies can help. Thank you both, UNCTAD's Jan Hoffman and Luisa Rodriguez, who were this week's guests. Tune into the weekly Tradecast next week and every week for more insights on the most pressing issues around the world of trade and development. There's even more on our website, unctad.org. I'm Sarah Toms in Geneva. Goodbye for now.